morning. Before uh, Emily and Ashley leave, I just want to give a shout out to Emily and Ashley for the great job they did putting together the BBS. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I had the privilege, along with Chad, to uh, lead the game section of the, the VBS. And one of the things that this whole thing inspired me to is I will be spending much more time praying for Denise Allen, for Jim McGuire, for Sue Cack, our elementary school teachers, because these kids are like herding cats sometimes, you know? And so that's what they do for a living. I, I needed to get some pointers before I started out. Some of, the, some of them uh, were a handful, but it was, it was a joy. It was a joy. Uh, during the, the, the time the kids uh, of the VBS, the kids were introduced to some truths about God. And uh, if you've noticed, they're, they're over here. There are four truths that the kids were introduced to. I don't know if, I can't read them without my glasses, but so the, the four truths are God is real. Why did you say that? All right. God is love. God is forgiving, and God is forever. And so that's what they taught the kids. They taught the kids those four truths, and it was like, as they taught them, anytime you said the truth, the follow-up was, believe it. And so I'm hoping we'll carry that today with us a little bit. We'll get a little excited as we go back to church, normal church, as Emily called it. For, for some of the kids, these truths were probably the first time, it's maybe the first time they had ever heard those things about God. Truths that I believe, these truths and some others that we're going to look at today, if trusted in, if believed, will change your life. It'll be li- their life, their life changing. Now this morning, we're going to look at more truths about God. We'll include a few of those that we got from VBS, but we're going to look at 12 truths, actually. So you have a lot of opportunity to say, believe it. All right, 12 truths that I believe, if trusted in, will change your life. The Bible is full of truths about God, many more than 12. If if we're going to do all the truths, we'd be here for quite a while. But we're just going to focus on the 12 truths that I found as I studied through uh, Psalm 86. That's our passage for today, Psalm 86. You have it in your notes. If you have it in your notes, so I have uh, an active listening exercise coming up with Psalm 86. But first, uh, look at the heading of the psalm or introduction. Psalm 86, it's very simple. It says, A prayer of David. A prayer of David. So, using my amazing powers of deduction, my years of biblical training, I deduced that this was one of David's prayers. This, this is a prayer. Amazing, right? That's why I get paid the big bucks and stuff. So today we're going to be talking about both truths about God and how they apply to our praying. Okay, Because in the midst of this, pray, this prayer, David is going to shout forth, declare truths about God. So we're going to be talking about prayer and truths about God and sort of bringing those things together. So let me ask you this. We're going to have a couple opportunities this morning for interaction, so be prepared. What do you think of when you think of prayer? 
what comes to mind and shout it out? What comes to mind when you think of prayer? Talking with God. Good. Just talking with God. What, what else? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. That's great. Thanking God. Intercession. Intercession. Praying for self and for others. Right. Praise. 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 Worship. Adoration. Bringing glory to God. What else? Asking for help. Crying out for help. We've only left out one. Maybe the one we need the most. Confession. Confession. So, so maybe you guys have heard of this uh, acrostic. It's called the Acts. Acts, where you can kind of remember these things. A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S for supplication, which is asking for stuff, that intercession for others, praying for yourself. Okay. Now, now in Psalm 86, uh, David's prayer, we find him praying a number of different ways, these ways. There's adoration, there's thanksgiving, there's a little bit of confession. I think he got confessed out in Psalm 51, so he, he, there's a little bit of that. But what I want to look, us to look at first is the supplication, the the, the, the actually praying for himself. What is David praying for? What is he asking God to do? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Psalm 86 out loud. I'm going to make a few comments, a few pauses in the psalm to give you time as I want you to underline or circle. If you want to do it in your Bible, awesome. If you, if you don't, then we, you have your uh, sheet there. Underline or circle all the things that David is asking God for what he's praying for. So this is a little active listening, active reading, circling, underlining, highlighting David's prayers, okay? So verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. So you would, uh, just as an example, he's asking uh, the Lord to answer him. Listen to me, Lord, for I am poor and needy. So he's coming in humility. He's poor and he's needy. This is a little bit of his his confession there. Preserve my life. So there's another request. Preserve my life. That's all the hints I'm giving. I'm going on. For I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord. for, for For to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you answer me. Trouble. It was probably some trouble in David's life. That's oftentimes the thing that drives us to God in prayer. He's experiencing something. It doesn't say what. Later, we have another clue. Verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. 
and they do not set you before them. This is probably the trouble he's experiencing. Some, some enemies are coming up against David. But you, O Lord, verse 15, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. That son of your maidservant is sort of an idiom for, for a faithful servant. Show me a sign, verse 17, of your favor, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Okay, so that's 17 verses. So what are the, some of the things that David is praying for? You can just read them, read the little requests, or, or even state them in your own words. As you, what did you highlight? What did you underline? What is David praying for? To preserve his life. So, so his life is being threatened. He wants to live. Listen, God, hear my, hear my prayer. Make me gladden my soul. Make me, make me happy. Give me joy. Teach me. Teach me. Lord, teach me. Unite my heart. He was th- there was some thanksgiving in there, thanking him for who he is. What else? He was asking for grace, for God's grace and his mercy, for strength, for salvation. Great. That's great. Great. I think you've got most of it. Now, let me ask this question. You don't have to answer. I'm going to answer this one. Okay. What gave David, what gave David the hope, what gave him the assurance that God would answer his prayers? Why could he pray this way? What, what made him think he could go before God and ask for such things? Well, if you'll notice, and this is what we're going to talk about, mixed in throughout David's prayer to God are statements, truths about God. And they directly relate to what he's praying for. David, it, it's as if David is saying, Lord, I can ask you for these things, these things that we recited, Because of who you are. It's because of who God is. Because of his attributes, his character, his qualities. That David can pray the way he does. We couldn't pray this way to anyone else. Does that make sense? Okay. This is important, so let me illustrate it as well. So in our VBS, we were on the VBS. The theme was Thailand Trek. So we not only learned a lot about God, a lot about the Bible, a lot about Jesus, but we learned some things about about Thailand. And my wife and I are particularly excited about that since we lived in Thailand for a while. And when I lived in Thailand, I helped coach uh, two different basketball teams. One team was made up of elementary age boys and girls. It was a team at the the school my, my son and daughter went to. It was mostly girls, this team. The boys were playing soccer. The girls were playing basketball. The other team that I coached was made up of Thai boys, or actually men, in a a college nearby. Now, the things I asked the elementary team to do were very different from the things I asked the college team to do. Why? Because of their attributes, their abilities, who they were. The elementary team was young and inexperienced and short. They had pretty minimal basketball skills. So I basically asked them to learn to dribble, to try to pass a little bit, and, and try to get the ball up to the rim, at least. 
to try to get the ball down the court and, and maybe get it in the basket every once in a while. But the college team, they had several guys who'd played basketball for years. They were skilled in dribbling and passing, so I, so I asked them to run some specific plays, to set screens, to, to pass the ball around until there was an open man. So do you see the difference? What we ask someone to do should be, must be really, directly related to who they are, what they can accomplish. And we see in Psalm 86, David is asking for some pretty big things. Save me, preserve my life. But he's asking someone, he's asking God, who has the attributes, who has the character, the ability to do these things. And so, much of David's prayer is him declaring truths about who God is. We need to remember that. We need to remember that, and we'll talk more about that. But as we pray for stuff, we need to continue to... And because, God, you can do this, because you're this or that, because you have the power. Now, David does this. Why does David do this? Why does David do this? God already knows who he is. He's praying to God, right? God already knows who he is. God knows what he can do. He doesn't need to be reminded. But he does it, I believe, for two reasons. First... To give glory to God. Part of our prayers are this adoration, this glorifying God. So David, throughout his prayer, he's asking for things, but in the mix, he's adoring and thanking God for who he is. As he prays for his own needs, he praises God as the only one who has the power to meet his needs. So first, David, in his prayer, glorifies God for who he is. And second, I think David is reminding himself and his readers, because this was a published work. The Psalms were published. They went out among the children of Israel and have been handed down to us. He's reminding us just how awesome God is. There's valuable, important, key information and instruction for us to pay attention to in David's prayer. You know, that's what the Bible Bible is full of. It's revealing truth about God. Truth that we need to believe and truth that we need to apply to our lives. If we pay attention, if we listen, if we believe and we apply, we learn about the, the God that can change our lives. The God that works in our lives. We can see just how amazing, how capable, how willing God is to answer our prayers. So reading and studying David's prayer, that's what we're going to do today, uh, for God to work in his life, should help us, should build our confidence, should build our trust in God as we turn to pray to him for him to work in our lives. So what I want to do this morning is to look at these truths about God that David proclaims in his prayer. Some of them are going to be reviews of some of the things we've already seen in the Psalms we've read, because David and others repeat these same things over and over, and there's a reason they're repeated, right? Because we need to hear them more than once. And my hope and my prayer is that as David tells us about the God he's praying to, that we'll grow in our understanding of who God is, that we'll see him for who he is, that we'll behold his glory, we'll We'll, we'll, we'll be able to break through and realize when I pray, this is who I'm speaking to. Prayer is talking to God, and that means it's talking to God. God is amazing. That we'll be captivated by God so that, so that our faith in Him might grow and our prayer to Him might increase. Our prayer, both in 
both in quality, we'll be praying more, we'll be, we'll be risking more, we'll be asking Him to do more, and quantity, we'll just be wanting to spend more and more time with Him. That we as individuals and a church will be motivated and inspired to reach out to God to greater heights in prayer. Because God alone is able to meet our needs. He alone is able to give us strength and grace. He alone is able to fulfill our desires, to gladden our souls. So let's look at the truth that David proclaims about the one he's praying to. And let us remember, he is the God to whom we pray. That's the title of the sermon, the God to whom we pray. I want us to get it in our head when we go to our knees, when, we, when we're driving in the car and we're praying to God, this is who we're praying to. And that's really our first truth. The God, the God that you pray to is your God. He's my God. God is my God. Believe it. All right. Thanks, Ashley. Ashley, you're the leader. Every time we come to a new point, Ashley's going to lead us in the believe it, okay? And if it, and if it was a point, one of these points are mentioned, it, it, we just need to double believe it. No, not really. So this is, God is my God. This is awesome. In verse 2, David says, preserve my life. Save my life. People are trying to kill me, basically. For I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Believe it. All right. David asked God to preserve his life, to save him. Something only God can do. God is in charge of the number of our days, right? And notice he also says three things about himself, really quickly. He says that he is godly. Well, that seems presumptuous, but it really means he's just a faithful follower of God. A faithful follower of God. He's, he's a follower of God. He says that he's God's servant, and he says that he trusts in God. All three of these are pointing to something. That David, a follower of God, a servant of God, a, 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 one who trusts in God, is in, has a relationship with God. So we need to understand from the beginning, this is key, that we can only pray to God if we have a relationship with God. Okay, that needs to be your first prayer. Okay, God... If you have no relationship with God, if you don't believe in Him, if you aren't trusting in Him, if you're not following Him, and you decide, oh, today someone's trying to kill me, I better pray to God that He not. Well, you better first pray, God, come into my life. God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, I want to be your follower. If He's my God, if I follow Him, if I trust Him, if I serve Him, I can confidently pray to Him. Okay? David can can say, answer my prayers because you are my God. Because of my personal relationship with the Lord, I can go to Him with these things. It's kind of like like the marriage relationship. I can ask my wife to do things, and she can ask me to do things that we would never ask anyone else because we have a special marriage relationship. And David is saying, Lord, I have a special relationship with you. I trust in you. So hear my prayers. So I hope, I hope we can see that the fact that God is my God is important, is key to our... Okay, Ashley, you're alone there. Thanks for that. But let's just... Let's just so, so we can conserve our energy, because I know... Is it getting warm in here? No, okay. It's getting warm up here. This light is like, why is this on me? But, so we're going to do the believe it, and I want us to do it 
but we're going to do it like at the, when I first mention each point, okay? And you can lead in that, thanks. All right. Okay, where was I? <laughs> but we all, okay, so we have this personal relationship with God, right? And that's the, the key, the gateway into our prayers to him. But we also need to understand that God is more than just my God. In verse 8, David writes, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. You alone are God. Yes, if we trust in him, God is your God. But this same God, never forget... David and you and I pray to the same God is God alone. There's none like him. No one can do what he does. He made the nations and he deserves the worship of the nations. He is great. He does wondrous or marvelous things. He must be glorified. This is so important. Knowing that God has the power. God has the ability. God, There's no one like him. He does wonderful, marvelous deeds. He has the ability to answer your prayers. That when you pray, we aren't praying to some local tribal deity. It's not one of the pantheon of of Greek gods or other gods. It's the one true God. We're praying to the one true God, the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so we can pray to God with confidence because He is not only my God, but He is the God, period. And there's more. David continues to tell us things about God that that should motivate us to to go to him in prayer. He's not only God, but he is good. He's not only God, but he is good. God is good. Believe it. All right. We got it. Verse 5, for you, O Lord, are good. Straight out, he's good. It's so good to know that God is good. If God wasn't good, we would all be in big trouble. Because the truth that God is all-powerful and he has the ability to answer our prayers, doesn't mean that he will answer our prayers in a good way. In a way that's good for you and me. But he is good. So so for for, for those who trust in him, for those who we can pray with confidence, knowing that God will answer our prayer in such a way that all things work together for good. It's because God is good that Romans 8.28, we know the verse, right? All things work together for good for those who, are call, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We can go to Him and pray things and know that He will work it for good. Because he, not because we're good, but because He's good. So we, we come to God in confident prayer, knowing that He is my God and He is good. And knowing, God is, verse number three, God is forgiving. Believe it. So that's, that's a double believe it, because that's one of the VBS truths. We were, the, 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 the Emily and, what's her name, Ashley, we're doing a great job. I'm just kidding. Just doing a great job teaching these kids here, and, and us, uh, what it means that God is forgiving. Verse 15, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. David We we talked about this in Psalm 51, but we need to talk about it again. David is a sinner, right? We know that for sure. And we are sinners. 
We know David's a sinner because we read it in the Bible. We know we're sinners because we uh, see ourselves in the mirror and we know we're sinners. And a few weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah 59.2. Remember? this, This is a principle throughout Scripture, but Isaiah says it well. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Bummer, right? Because uh, I don't know about you, but I sin. I commit iniquity. That's just a fancy word for sin. And that separates me from God. Our rebellion, that's what sin is. Our rebellion against God causes God, Isaiah says, to hide his face from, face from us. He can't hear us because of our sin. And based on that, if that's the end of the story, we have no hope. We have no hope of God hearing our prayer. We have no hope, of course, of him answering our prayer. But David says, even though I'm a sinner, I can pray to God and he will answer because he forgives. He forgives. The Apostle John wrote, if we confess our sins. So, when, so just so you know, when Isaiah says God doesn't hear us, that's not like he, he, his ears are closed. Because what, what he means is God is not... Is not Uh, paying attention. He's not going to respond to our prayers, but he will respond to our prayer of confession. He hears that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, when we come to God in humility, we're cleansed. That separation is, is removed And God again hears our prayers. God's forgiveness, get this, God's forgiveness swings wide the doors of heaven that our prayers might be heard. But we can't forget, you know, this is... uh, This is David in the Old Testament Psalms, and he's writing all these things, and they're true for him because he's looking forward to something. He's looking forward to this Messiah. And without the Messiah's coming, David's prayers would mean nothing, and our prayers would mean nothing. We can't forget the reason for our forgiveness. Forgiveness comes through trusting in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. We had the, the, the ladies use the cross there to demonstrate the death on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took our place. He died for our sins. The death that, that we were meant to die, He died in our place. He paid for our sins that we might be forgiven, that we might then enter into relationship with God. The only way that God can be your God, that God can be my God, is through trusting in Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death, his payment for our sins. We would, uh, if that were not the case, we would forever remain separated from God. Jesus Christ alone provides our forgiveness. Jesus opens the doors of heaven that our prayers might be heard by our loving Heavenly Father, amen? amen? Believe it. Wait, I can say that anytime I want, just so you know. <laughs> and why did God send His Son? What, what, what was the motivating factor in God to send His Son to die in our place? That's our fourth point, our fourth truth that needs to motivate us to prayer. It's up there too, because God is love. Yeah. And you guys are awesome. You should have all come to VBS. It would have been great. Now, I don't want to say that this is the most important truth about God when it comes to prayer, because they're all important, but this is the one that David repeats over and over and over again. We've, 
We've heard it in at least half the Psalms we've already studied, and we hear it three times in Psalm 86. Verse 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Verse 13, For great is your steadfast love toward me. Verse 15, For you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Over and over again, David states the awesome, amazing truth that God is abounding, overflowing. It's it's that cup that you just keep pouring water and it just keeps gushing over and over. He's overflowing with steadfast love. And again, we've looked at this word before. That steadfast love is really one word in, in Hebrew. It's the word hesed packed full of meaning. Long, it includes long-lasting, enduring kindness and goodness, care. It's love that desires, it both desires and it acts in the best interest of the object of its love. So praise the Lord. We are the object. If we're trusting in the Lord, we are the, then the object of His love and He has hesed for us, steadfast love for us. And do you see why this is so important for our prayers? When we go before the Lord with our requests, with our petitions, with our needs, we're going before one who loves us, get this, more than any other person in the world ever could or has, more than our parents and our siblings, our spouse, our children. Because God's capacity, I mean, we have... I think we all probably, hopefully, have people in our lives that love us and would do anything for us. But all of us have limited capacity for all things. God has infinite capacity. And so his love for us is infinite, abounding. And he directs that love to us, to those who trust in him. So, so go to him in prayer, knowing that, that, that his arms are open for you. You'll, in his arms, you'll find abundant, steadfast love. This is foundational to our understanding of God, to our understanding of prayer. What what I mean is that because of God's love for us, that's why He's good to us. That's why He forgives us. And the list goes on. Number five, God answers. Ashley, believe it. God answers. David began his prayer in verse one by, by saying, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. That's his request. Answer me. And the reason he can pray this with confidence is that he knows, verse 7, in the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. David knows that God loves him. He knows that when he faces trouble, when he calls on the Lord, the Lord hears and the Lord will answer. Now, now that doesn't mean that the Lord will always answer in the way we expect. This is where we need to get a grip a little bit. He may not always answer what we want, and that's good, and I'll explain why. God will not always answer yes. If you've seen the movie Bruce Almighty, how many have seen? Okay, just a few of you. It's, it's getting old. Jim Carrey's getting old. But you know what would happen if God always answered yes, right? In the movie, when Bruce was given God's power, he was so overwhelmed with the the flood of prayer requests that came into him via email, of course, that he, that he just sent a blanket reply, yes, to all. And what followed was chaos. I don't remember everything that happened. I remember a lot of chaos. But millions of people won the lottery. Everybody got about a buck fifty. 
So the fact that God answers does not mean that he always says yes. Why? Because the Lord is good. And because the Lord is love. Because God is good and and God is love. He will always answer in the way that is best for you. He will always answer in the way that's best for you. And guess what? He is smarter than you. He knows the future. And he knows what's best for you better than you do. As Garth Brooks puts it, sometimes, I know I like to quote John Piper, but sometimes Garth Brooks makes it in. He says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. You know the you know the song, you know, he runs into his old high school flame and he used to pray that he could marry her and now he's going, thank you God for not answering that prayer. She is not what I needed. Now for the believer, for us, Garth, Garth, Garth is technically incorrect. He's not really quite correct. There are no unanswered prayers. But there are prayers that God will answer with a, a no or a wait or it's not time yet, or we need to tweak it a little bit for your best. Sorry, my child, I can't do that for you. It's not the best thing for you. Trusting in God is key. I mean, uh, if we're going to get answers like this, we have to trust that He knows better than we do. So we can come to God, though, with confidence, and we can pray as, as our heart desires, knowing that He will always tweak our prayers for our best. He'll always do what's best for us. So fifth, so the fifth truth about God that should motivate us for prayer is that he answers. And the sixth is that God delivers. Believe it. Verse 13. For great is your steadfast love. We talked about that toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Sheol, Sheol can refer to the grave or the place of the dead. Specifically, the place where the the wicked go. It's contrasted to paradise. Uh, What David is saying is that God has delivered or rescued him from from going to the place of the wicked. Or put another way, God has rescued him from hell. Because of God's great, abundant, steadfast love, he rescues, he delivers from hell. And how does he do that? He does that, again, through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 3.16, famously, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should escape Sheol, we could say, is what David, David would say, but have eternal life. Those who believe in him, trust in him, follow him. David believed he was coming. We believe, he, he, we trust and we follow that he came and he died for our sins. Those who believe in him will not perish will not go down into the the grave. We'll go down physically, but not spiritually. Instead, because of Jesus, they, we, I hope, will have eternal life. David and we can confidently pray to God because he delivers, because he rescues, he saves from hell through his son, Jesus Christ. Check this out. Check this out. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Apostle Paul writes this. This is... uh, Maybe the key, maybe memorize this, maybe memorize all of Romans chapter 8 if you're, not, if you're under 50, because <laughs> if you're over, that's really hard, because I tried. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he, speaking of God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
believe it. Paul gives this great truth that applies to our prayers. He says, the fact that God did not spare his own son, that because of his love, he sent his son Jesus to the cross to die in our place. Amazing love. He gave the greatest possible thing to us. How can he not then give us all things? He's given us in Christ all things already. He can add to that. He can continue to provide for us. Christ's death on the cross proves that God will answer our our prayers, that He will give us all things, all things that are for our best, right? So we can pray because God delivers through Christ Jesus. And because, number seven, where we get two truths, so we need a double believe it here, God is merciful and gracious. Ashley, you're losing some gas there. She's tired. She worked really hard last week. Okay, I'm going to have to put somebody else in charge. Just kidding. Verse 15 again. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Just straight out. You know, you know what that means, though? Think about it. This means that we can pray that God not give us what we deserve. That word merciful, we talked about it before. It's the Hebrew raham, and it means full of compassion. God is full of compassion. When we're in trouble, David was in trouble, even trouble that we cause ourselves, which is oftentimes the case, we can come to the Lord in prayer because He is merciful. Lord, have mercy on me. We can throw ourselves on the mercy of the Lord. And He's gracious. Graciousness is similar to mercy. It has the idea of compassion as well and of generosity. It's just overflowing, abundant, of giving someone something they don't deserve. We can pray for things we don't deserve. But because God is gracious, I mean, we we, we don't deserve much, but because God is gracious, we can pray for these things. And I don't mean we can pray for material possessions we haven't earned. Lord, give me that new car, that shiny new car. Give me that, I keep coming back to this Apple Watch. I'm going to get one of those, you know, someday. (laughs) but I haven't prayed for it. I'm just going to save up for it. What I do mean, I don't mean the material possessions, which people are often wanting in prayers. What I do mean is we can pray for greater things, for for perseverance in life, for gladness. I mean, we think material possessions will bring us gladness, but only the Lord will bring us gladness. For salvation and for strength and for favor before God. We we have... uh, not and cannot earn any of these things, but because God is gracious, we can pray that he will grant them to us. The author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let's go before the Lord with with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In confidence, we can come to the Lord who is merciful and gracious And we can receive His grace and mercy in our time of need. Never hesitate, never hesitate to take your troubles to your loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving Heavenly Father. And there's more. God is also patient. Believe it! Thanks, Ashley's back, all right. 
But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. God is slow to anger. He waits for us to repent. He waits for us to confess. His goodness and His love for us mean He is patient with us. Like a loving parent who knows that a child has done something wrong, they will, for a time, wait to see if that child will come to him, come to them and confess on their own and ask for forgiveness. God, in the same way, is patient, slow to anger with His children. He'll wait for a time for, the, for, a time for them to come. So there is a time we'll stop waiting and start disciplining because we need it. There's a time we'll wait and, and a time uh, He'll wait for us to come to Him and confess and ask for forgiveness. This means that when we sin, when we fall away, God is patient with us. He waits like the, the, the father in the story of the prodigal son waiting on his, before his house, waiting with open arms for his, his son to return. God waits for us with open arms. And when we do finally come to our senses, when we grab ourselves out of the pig trough of this, of this life and return home, you know what we find? We don't find a father that brings the hammer down on us. He draws us into his open arms and he calls for a celebration, for what was lost is now found. We can always return to God because He's slow to anger. He's patient with us. So even if we haven't prayed to God in a long time, even if we've been, uh, what's the word, backsliding, fallen away from Him, He's waiting. He's waiting for you to pray this prayer of repentance and confession and asking Him to forgive you because He's slow to anger and His arms are open for you. He's patient and God is faithful. Number nine, believe it. Ashley is in the back now. She left. God is faithful. Believe it. Again, verse 15. But you, our Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and abounding in faithfulness. That abounding applies to the love and to the faithfulness. That word faithfulness means to be reliable, to be trustworthy. Now, when you ask someone to do something for you, to help you, to help you with a project, to help you move, people are always asking me to help move. I feel like, uh, well, if I had to move, I would probably have to pay someone to do it. So I don't know how, because I'm getting old. My knees are giving out. But when people ask you for help, ask you to move, ask you to do something at church, help with VBS, help greeting or help ushering or security or work with the youth or teach the kids, help in a small group, host or lead a small group, all kinds of things we can ask people to help us with. What is probably the most important foundational quality that that person needs to have? Faithfulness, right? Reliability. You need them to be trustworthy. Basically, you need them to show up. Otherwise, what's the point of asking? If you ask someone to help you fix your car, even if they say yes, even if they're a super awesome mechanic, it does no good if they never show up. They need to be faithful. And so it's so amazing, so great for our prayers to know that God is faithful. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. He will do what He says. He always shows up. He will hear and answer our prayers. We need, to, we need not be concerned about Him forgetting, about Him not caring, because He's faithful. He'll be there in our time of need. And finally, verse 10, two more. 
So there's 10 points, but there's 12 truths. Get it? Okay, great. Do the math. God helps and comforts. That's good. That's the last time. Let's do it one more time. God helps and comforts. Believe it. All right. Verse 17. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. David can pray against his enemies. He can pray against those who hate him. He can ask for God's favor because God has in the past demonstrated his faithfulness. Notice that both help and comfort are in the past tense. God has helped me. God has comforted me. So I know he will do it again. He's faithful. That word helped means to to surround and protect and and to give aid to. God has been and will be there for David. And God has and will comfort David. In his time of need, in his time of trouble, God is a comforting God. In our times of trouble, God will will listen to our prayers. He'll hear our prayers. He'll know our heart. He'll help and he'll comfort us. It's interesting that in in the New Testament, God's Holy Spirit is called both the helper and the comforter. Because that's who God is. And that's what he does in our lives. He gives us his spirit that we might be comforted, that we might be helped to live this life. So we can confidently go to God in prayer. Why? Because He is God. He is my God. Believe it. He's forgiving and loving. Believe it. He answers and He delivers. Believe it. He's merciful and gracious. Believe it. He's patient and faithful. Believe it. And He helps and comforts. Now I know this morning I've given you a, a lot to think about. 10 points, 12 things, truths about the God to whom you pray. Truths that that David in Psalm 86 proclaimed about God. And and these are just the beginning. There's there's much more we can talk about of God. We We just choose one psalm because we only have 45 minutes or so. So, so, we're, so we're dwelling on these truths, truths that, that allowed and inspired, that should allow and inspire and motivate, they, they motivated David to take all his needs, all his desires to the Lord. He understood who the Lord was in his life, and that drove him to prayer. And so I'd encourage you not to forget Psalm 86, not to forget the attributes, the truths about God. But even this week, Maybe take it out and uh, maybe your notes or, or open your own Bible and meditate on it. Think about those amazing things that, uh, about the God to whom you pray. Think about the truths of who God is and what He does. And allow those truths to draw you to Him. To draw you to extended times of prayer. To get to know Him better in relationship to believe the truths. I mean, we've said it over and over again, but that's really key. You know, you can know it here, but if you don't believe it here, it's not going to have an impact in your life. And the truth is, the truth is, if you do believe it, it'll change who you are. If you truly believe that God loves you, it's going to transform you. You're going to trust Him like never before. You're going to know He's always doing what's best. You're going you're to stop complaining and whining about, not not that you would ever do that, I'm speaking about myself, about your your life situation and know that God is at work. You'll trust Him more than you trust yourself. As James wrote, 
This is my final challenge to us in prayer and just in life, to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He asks us to step out in faith to Him, and He promises to come to us to answer. So would you pray to God with me as we close? Father God, it's so awesome to know who you are, to get to know you better and better through your word. Thank you for this, this psalm that reveals so much truth about who you are. Lord, I pray, I pray for myself and I pray for each person here that we would believe it, that we would trust it, that we would begin to apply it in our, in our hearts, that we would be people who you trust you so much that, that just as we walk throughout our day, that we will begin to, to understand what, what Paul meant when he wrote, pray without ceasing. We'll just be forever going into your presence, trusting you, asking you for help and for comfort, Lord, for, for, for your grace and for your mercy, for your, for your love in our lives, because that's who you are and we can trust you, Lord. Transform us with your truth in Christ's name. Amen. Stay with us.